Well, thank you so much to all of those who have helped to put our worship service together today. Um, for our liturgist, Jim Ritterbush, uh, for uh, Chris and Don Gimple, who offered our children's time today, uh, for Faith Ringers, who offered our special music, for Gary Brubaker and our praise team, for um, all of the music leadership that they give there. And also for everyone who participated in the services over the last month as well, for all of our liturgists um, and folks offering our children's time, our guest preachers and Pastor Larry, thank you all so much uh, for all that you do to help make our worship services what they are. Now, as we are again together this morning, um, starting this new series talking about Sunday school stories growing up. Now, if you attended Sunday school growing up um, as a child or maybe even as an adult, some of these stories that we'll talk about over this month will be familiar to you. Um, and maybe if you didn't, they're not as familiar. Although um, I think a lot of these stories tend to leak into our culture anyway. I mean, Noah and the Ark is something that's fairly familiar to most people. David and Goliath is a story that um, we know even regardless of the Bible. Um, the story of Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man, um, and, uh, and, uh, and Paul and Silas. So we'll talk about these stories um, because sometimes when you hear these stories as children, um, they sound differently than when you read them or hear them as an adult. Um, and so we'll hear what they have to say, some of the details that we may have missed as children, um, and also what they all speak to our faith continuing. So this morning, Noah and the Ark. Would you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So one of the things that we talk about in terms of faith, especially in the church, is, um, is how to have a childlike faith. Um, we strive for um, faith like a child. And um, <clears throat> that's actually something that Jesus said to his disciples too, um, to have faith like a child. Now the problem is what happens when people take that um, faith like a child and their faith is actually childish. Um, there's a difference between childlike and childish. Um, or um, when people take that their faith never changes. Um, they don't change their understanding of the Bible or their understanding of faith from when they were children. And the, and the thing is, is that things do change. Um, and we know that throughout our life, too. Um, there are stories probably that you know, not just scripturally, that your understanding of them has changed as you become older. Um, maybe the Disney movies that you watched as kids, you watch as adults and you see things differently. Um, maybe you find some of the uh, jokes that were hidden in there that were for the grown-ups. Um, or maybe the story just sounds a little bit differently. Um, you know, if you watched um, The Little Mermaid, and when you were younger, identifying with Ariel, the headstrong teenager, rebelling against her father, well, maybe if you watched as an adult, you saw you identified with maybe her father of trying to keep her safe. So again, we, we see things differently as adults than we do children. And, and that's true of our faith as well. I mean, are you still praying the same prayers as when you were a child? Maybe, maybe the core of them, but the words probably aren't the same. I mean, 
I prayed a lot for toys and things when I was a child, and I'm not really praying for those things anymore. But so, so things in our faith sometimes change. Um, I mean, our understanding of the Bible changes and grows. So the stories that we'll look at this month have some of those changes and growth. They're stories that you may have heard as a child, but now we'll hear them with adult eyes and ears. So the Old Testament is part of our Bible. Um, and a lot of times when I talk with folks, um, they're really uncomfortable reading the Old Testament or they have a hard time understanding the Old Testament. Um, and I've even heard people say that, you know, we don't even have to worry about the Old Testament because it's all about the New Testament. Um, the New Testament is what's central to our faith. And, um, and, and the Old Testament can be confusing. I mean, we don't know some of the customs or the laws, and sometimes it, it seems it is barbaric or confusing or violent or, or even bloody, or maybe even just feeling disconnected. And in some ways, those things are all true. Well, except the Old Testament doesn't apply to our faith as Christians, because it actually does. The Old Testament is still our story. Jesus was a Jewish man who lived and breathed these stories as a part of his religious upbringing. Many of the stories in the New Testament actually call back to these stories or the laws or the promises made in the Old Testament. So they are our stories. One of the understandings that Jewish people have of their scriptures is to look at scripture like a diamond. Sometimes you look at it one way and it says one thing and you turn it just a little bit and it looks differently. Now there's also a tradition in Jewish scriptures called Midrash. And Midrash is Jewish commentary on scripture. Um, it's often attached to a biblical text. Sometimes it offers more information to the story or it fills in the gaps. There are many other midrashes um, throughout these stories of scripture, and the story of Noah is actually no different. There are many midrashes out there that might answer some of the questions that you have of the text, and sometimes they can lead to even more confusion. But it's also a beautiful way to try and understand these stories. Now, in the Old Testament, there are many writers Genesis, where our story today comes from, is traditionally attributed to Moses. Moses is traditionally believed to having written the first five books of the Bible. However, according to scholarship, we know that that's not completely true. So if you take this story, for example, there are two versions of the story of Noah and the ark in our Bibles. If you read through Genesis 6 through 8, you'll see two different versions and different instructions given to Noah about the ark and how many animals to take. Just two different versions of the same story, back to back. And if you look even closer into these stories, there are different authors in the two different versions. There's a theory in biblical scholarship called the JDEP, that there were at least four different schools of thought or writers. There may have been more, but at least four. So JDEP. 
There's the Jehovah tradition, the Deuteronomistic tradition. I went to seminary to learn how to say that word, y'all. Deuteronomistic. It's like impress your friends at a party. I mean, it, it impresses a particular group of friends at a party, but still. Deuteronomistic, Elohim, and the priestly tradition. Now, they're coming at it from slightly different perspectives with sometimes different names for God, like Jehovah or Elohim. Um, those are two different names that are used for God. Um, or just different um, attention to detail or attention to laws or codes. Um, so the story looks a little different depending on your perspective. Now, some of these details um, and uh, things might change the story, and some might just shed more light on parts of the story. And the truth is, with, with something like this story, we could probably spend, I don't know, I mean, we could spend probably months or maybe even years looking at all of the little details. I mean, if we examined every single word or every single image, we could spend a whole lot of time um, and still not uncover everything or fully understand what this passage means or says or, or has for us. And some of you would love to do that. Like you would be like, yes, that is the best. And some of you are like, I'm already bored. So all of that to say, the Bible is incredibly complicated and important. It's important to read and to help guide our faith. It's where we start our journey. We start with scripture to hear what it says to us. So now let's talk about this story a little bit and just some, I don't know, some details um, for you to help remember what this story has to say. So pop quiz. You can feel free to share your answers in the comments below or, um, you know, shout them out. Um, it's not, you're not graded. Um, so question number one. What is the name of Noah's wife? Okay, I did this at a youth event once and they were like, Mrs. Noah. Okay, that's a good answer. Um, scripturally though, we don't know. Her name is not in scripture. Now, what are the names of Noah's sons? If you said Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Good job. Um, it also doesn't list Noah's daughters. Um, but we know he also had daughters as well. So um, in the story of Noah and the ark and the flood, um, how many animals were on the ark? Okay, so this is actually kind of a trick question. Um, in Genesis 6, 19 through 20, it says that there were two of every kind of animal. That's where we get the pairs or the two by two. However, in Genesis 7, verse 2, this is another version. In Genesis 7, verse 2, it says to take seven pairs of clean animals and one pair of unclean animals. So that's more than two by two. I mean, seven pairs of clean animals, that's 14. Um, yeah, 14 um, 
and one pair of unclean. So there's a lot of animals on this boat. How many days were Noah, uh, were Noah and his family on the ark? Now, a lot of times we say 40 days and 40 nights because that's how long it rained. Um, and that's not untrue, but they were actually on the boat for, for quite a long time, um, for 370 days. Noah entered the ark on the 600th year of his life, on the 17th day of the second month, and that's according to Genesis 7, 11 through 13. And Noah left the ark on the 27th day of the second month of the following year, and that's according to Genesis 8, 14 through 15. So therefore, assuming a lunar calendar of 360 days, Noah was on the ark approximately 370 days. I just think that's just kind of interesting, not, I don't know, interesting. I'm sure that there's a whole thing about that, but anyway. Um, what did Noah do after leaving the ark? After leaving the ark, Noah built the first vineyard and then proceeded to get drunk. I mean, that's not the story we usually tell in Sunday school, right? Like, what happened after the ark? Oh, they lived happily ever after. Actually, it's, it gets really complicated. It's a story for another day. Um, there's a lot of details in here that maybe we didn't realize as children. Um, and maybe for you, you're like, so what? What, is these, what do these matter? Um, but they mean something. And the story of Noah is often a story told to children. Um, or it's even used to decorate nurseries, um, whether in churches or even personal baby nurseries. And it's really pretty. Like, it's cute. The art is great. But now think about this story for a minute. This is a story of the destruction of all of creation. And it started with God regretting that God had made anything in creation. God regretted all, making all of creation. This was not a good day for humanity. And according to the story, it was because of evil that was being done. So what was the evil that was being done? I mean, there's not really necessarily a complete list offered by the scriptures, but what has been happening, I mean, not contained in the chap in the part that we read, but if you read, you know, the previous chapters of even Genesis, I mean, throughout these first few chapters of Genesis, we've already had stories of selfishness, of murder, of lying, of deceit. Y'all, Noah is only the sixth chapter of, Geno of, of, of Genesis. There's been a lot going on, and it's not been great. I mean, just kind of imagine what that evil might have been, because it's probably already there. Murder, rape, slavery, abusing creation, deceit, lying. Ugh. And that's actually not a complete list either. And even further, it's still happening. So, 
Here's the framework. Here's where it happens. And God regrets making creation and then says, but Noah. And, and why was Noah chosen? Truthfully, in the scriptures, there's actually not really a good reason. It said that Noah found favor, that he was deemed righteousness, which ultimately is, well, that's grace. God says, you, Noah, for an unknown reason, just because God loves Noah. Well, that's beautiful, isn't it? Who doesn't need grace? Now, this story, I told you there's so much here, you guys. Um, um, this story is a flood story. And throughout some of the ancient stories of creation and ancient stories um, found, there are actually other flood stories. Most major religions and most actually major civilizations have some sort of a flood story. Um, there's the flood story of Gilgamesh, um, the flood story of the Sumerian creation, and those were all known before Noah's story. So having a flood story as a part of your religious tradition is actually not that uncommon. There are some really uncommon things in this story, though. I mean, the fact that Noah received grace. There's also the ending of the story, that God promised not to do this ever again. That's grace. Now, in some of the other flood stories, the deity or the divine being doesn't have that grace or love. That's what makes God, Yahweh, Elohim, Jehovah, that's what makes this God different. That this God functions not out of destruction or hate or anger, but actually out of love, deep love. Now, some people need the story of Noah and the ark to be literal, and that's crucial for their faith. And some people haven't thought too much about Noah and the ark and how it relates to their faith. And some people hope it's not literal for their faith. And maybe you're in one of those groups, or maybe you're still trying to figure it out. And the truth is, it's a hard story. There are some troubling commentaries about Noah, about humanity. We, as humans, don't come across as real greats. And actually, even about God. I mean, we try to make sense out of these stories. Like, what does it have to say? What does it tell us about God? What does it tell us about ourselves? What does it tell us about our relationship with God? Now, one of the, the lines that I've said several times already, and I've struggled with, with reading this passage, comes from Genesis 6, 6. The Lord regretted having made everything and his heart was deeply troubled. What, what could have been done in order to break God's heart so much. What, what happened that God regretted? I regret making any of this. My heart is troubled. 
And I wonder, you know, what was that was being done and, and is any of that still being done? What might still be being done that makes God regret creating anything? You know, it would be easy in reading that and you stop there. And it's a troubling part of the story and it breaks my heart. And, and also to think about what, what we all may have contributed to that or continue to contribute to that. And yet that's not the ending of the story. I mean, that would be a pretty awful story, right? Like God regretted creating everything, the end. Oh, wait, God regretted creating everything, destroyed it, the end. But that's actually not the end of the story, is it? God regretted, cre regretted creating everything and then destroyed everything except, except, except something. And then at the end of the story, God says, I, I will never do that again. I can't do that again. At the end of the story, creation is remade. Noah and his family survive and, and all of those animals. And, and God covenants, promises, never to destroy the world again by flood. I will never do this to you again. And in fact, I cement this covenant by a rainbow. So every time you see this, you remember the promise that I love you. I love you and I will always pursue you and I will always be there for you regardless. Regardless of all those things, I love you. Not even regardless, because of, not even just in spite of, I promise I will love you. And that's a great part of the, and that's a really great ending to the story too, right? I mean, that's a great part of our faith because who doesn't want a redemption story? Who doesn't want a story that although full of challenges is also seasoned with grace and mercy and forgiveness and hope that nothing is unredeemable. then nothing is beyond God's love. And that includes us, that we are redeemable, that we are loved. Whew. It's a great story, right? And who doesn't need to hear that? That nothing is unredeemable and nothing no one is beyond God's love. And so this story of Noah and the ark that seems like one of those children's stories and, and doesn't have anything for us as adults, it actually really does. This story holds pieces of our story. It tells us who we are as people of faith, as God's child, Nothing is unredeemable and nothing and no one is beyond God's love. 
scripture is alive and continues to speak. It holds truths whispered by God, sometimes shouted by God. So what does Noah's story tell you about your story? You are loved. You are redeemable. And you, we, are invited to continue to walk with God. Thanks be to God. Amen.